Hello and welcome, and thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. I'm Sarah Gura, a licensed clinical professional counselor, which is a long way to say that I'm a shrink, not the medication kind, um, but the talk therapy kind. And I am an EMDR therapist, a yoga teacher, and my practice is the self-care path in Burr Ridge, where I treat first responders. This is season two, episode eight, and I'm calling it Voodoo and Anger. Um, but first, let's, as always, take a nice deep breath in. And when you exhale, just let that melt down through the body. Maybe really allow yourself to ground down in through the hips or your sit bones. And if you're standing, go ahead, spread the toes, rock your feet on all four corners and really find that grounding sensation, maybe rolling the shoulders down and away from the ears while you're doing that, or do a couple of rolls backwards and forwards, and just prepare as always to transition, adjust, and listen. So I decided to talk about voodoo and anger, voodoo, because I've been asked a question about my mala beads and um, anger because it's a major issue in the first responder world. I don't think I need to explain or justify that too much, but we'll do the voodoo first. So I wear two sets of mala beads on my left wrist, and mala beads uh, in Sanskrit, mala means meditation garland. So it's as long as a necklace, and I wrap it around four times each bracelet on my left wrist. And one set of mala beads for me represents my mind, which for me is the head and heart. That's my mind. And the other set of mala beads is the body. So together, that's a very spiritual setup for me. The mind-body connection, the mind-body awareness, the mind and body health, and so, or even the mind-body wisdom um, comes together for me and I wear them every day just to sort of, again, remind me of my intention and purpose. So you can choose a mantra, by the way, to use um, as sort of a meditation tool. So the mantra is a meditation tool. You might like to say happy, 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 happy several times or whatever it is that you would like to focus in on. Um, but each bead, there's 108 beads, uh, can each mantra can be counted that way by using, you know, the beads. Now, there's 108 beads, there's a little tassel on a string, all that can be used for meditation. Some people wear it as a necklace, some people wear it as bracelets like I do. But maybe to quickly explain that the tassel represents the lotus flower, and the lotus flower has some spiritual significance. Mine fall apart within two months, so they're just like strings hanging from my bracelets right now. But the lotus flower is interesting because it comes out of this muddy, murky water. So it folds itself up and it sinks down below in this muddy, murky water. And then when it comes up through that gunk, it unfolds itself and there's no water and no mud in it. And that's really a fascinating, beautiful 
metaphor for how I think all of my clients and even myself have existed. We come out from these terrible experiences. Sometimes at work, it's that human illness, death, suffering, stupidity, property, destruction. And sometimes it's our childhoods. Sometimes it just represents one of our traumas or incidents that we have really struggled with, but we come out and we can unfold and not have any of that muddy water on us. So the lotus has that beautiful significance or meaning for me. And then 108 seems to be a sacred number. I'm sure there's more than what I personally can remember right now, but I know there are seven chakras and there's 108 energy points that connect to the heart. I know that 108 degrees is the temperature that your vital organs begin to fail, I believe. 108 also is the atomic number for hassium. 108 is the, dynam the diameter of the sun, uh, and that's 108 times that of the earth. And I know there's um, 108, they say if you add that together, 1 plus 0 plus 8 is 9. And that's the number of the numerical scale. And of course, 108 is favored in mathematics, particularly in sacred geometry. So other than that, I'm not too sure why there's 108 specifically, but it is considered a spiritual number. And again, you can use mala beads as a meditation garland to count out your mantras or just simply represent the connection that you desire to have with the mind body and if so the spirit if you'd like so that is the voodoo part of voodoo and anger <laughs> a lot of my clients i think know me to be a little voodoo um which i say with such a light humor but anywho anger is a strong unpleasant feeling now in this world, I say that there are three types of experiences, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And you only have two choices with those three experiences. You can be wise or you can be unwise. And if I had to put anger in a category, of course, I would put it in the unpleasant uh, experience. If you find that your anger is pleasant, you may not be ready uh, to listen to anger intelligence information. Um, but it's definitely not a neutral experience. I wouldn't call it pleasant. I would once again um, emotionally intelligently put it in the category of unpleasant. Anger is also one of six uh, core emotions or primary emotions. So psychologists have identified that happy, sad, fear, surprise, disgust, and anger are six primary emotions. And that all the other descriptions of what we feel as human beings can be categorized in those six sections. But a, neat, a unique or neat thing about anger is that it is often a secondary emotion, like 99% of the time. Maybe uh, I would say the 1%, which I'm not giving you real statistics, would be like from a traumatic brain injury um, or something else going on uh, with your biology or your physiolo physiology. Almost said that funky, physiology. <laughs> 
Anywho. So anger as a secondary emotion, what does that mean? Um, it means you don't wake up angry. Now, some dudes be like, Sarah, I wake up angry. But you don't. Something happened over a period of time, whether it was one second or several years. If you are waking up pissed off, trust me, there's a route to it. Um, or we're going to have to take a look at what's going on with the structures of your physiology. So in other words, anger as a secondary emotion might be more recognizable if I say you can get tired to the point of anger. You can get hungry to the point of anger. You can be heartbroken to the point of anger, disappointed, annoyed, bored, hurt, even scared to the point of anger. So when someone says that they need help with their anger issues, I'm really curious, hmm, what's the primary issue here? Because if I work with the primary issue, then we're gonna be able most likely to resolve the secondary anger issue. Um, but anger most definitely has a purpose and an intention. So the human being has evolved, obviously, there's a survival of the fittest quality to us. And so anger survived in that list as one of the six main primary feelings. So in order to talk about this purpose and intention, we have to understand felt sense. So the way I like to describe this is that our emotions are sort of dormant and within us, we're capable of feeling them. And then when that emotion gets triggered and we start to notice what we're feeling, that is your felt sense. So you're going to feel the psychological feeling and you're also going to feel the physiological feeling in your body from anger or any emotion. And the reason that we have a felt sense is to help us create an awareness of the message that the feeling has. So all feelings are messages or the way that your mind and body communicates with you. But with anger in particular, um, I would say that number one, anger is there to flag you to the primary emotion that you left unattended. So it's the unfinished business emotion. The other intention that anger has is to protect you. So this is a very loud emotion. I say that anger is not only psychologically, but physiologically fiery. So it's rapid, it's sharp, it's hot, it's dry, it's rough. It is not intellectual, like the element of ether or, or, or air. It is not flowing, <laughs> like water. And it is not grounded, like earth. So we have this very fiery, emergency-type emotion that could become a feeling and a felt sense in our body again, to kind of say, hey, will you please freaking pay attention to this thing that you have not tended to? Or, hey, I need you on board immediately for protection and safety. So the really fast response is going to come from your amygdala, which is rooted in your limbic system or your emotion center. And in previous podcasts, I talked about how the amygdala just, it rules anxiety, fear, and anger. And 
The other place that anger can come from is your cortex. Now this is a slower anger, the slow burn. It's still fiery, but it's a slow burn. And the cortex is a little more intellectual. It's going to assess, appraise, and, and consider the value of the experience that you're having. Um, so it's definitely important to pay attention to anger because it's saying, I no longer have the ability to carry on. There's a threshold, there's a tolerance for pain. We need to go back and deal with something left unattended. And, or like I keep saying, it's there to protect you. So because of this fiery, immediate, emergency sort of nature that anger has, I would say that anger is also physiologically activating. So it's going to activate your fight, flight, or freeze mechanism or your sympathetic nervous system. So when your sympathetic nervous system is activated, your eyes are going to dilate. And the reason for that is you want more light hitting the rods and cones at the back of your eyeball. So the eyes dilate so that you can see more sharply. Your eyebrows will point down to narrow the focus, which also is supposed to look intimidating in your face. Um, your teeth may clench down again, which usually will show the teeth. So there's a bit of chest out, teeth clenched, posturing and boasting with anger, uh, which is of course meant to be a, a flare up or to, you know, to um, show the opponent or the threat or the safety issue, your strength, which by the way, all your senses heighten and your strength is definitely going to increase because of the adrenal rush, the arterial tension, your heart rate's going to increase, there's going to be testosterone production. So this is once again, a pretty fiery and intense felt sense or sensation, as far as an emotion goes. And you're going to experience changes in cortisol and left brain activity. And so basically, Anger can hijack all the parts of you. Um, and in previous podcasts, we talked about the different bodies that we have, bodies or parts. We have a physical body, a vital body, a mental body, an intellectual body, and what I call a bliss body. So the physical body is, it's going to take over your senses. It's going to take over the vital body, which is your organs. It takes over the mental body, which is your cognition. It's going to take over your intellectual body, which is your spirit, right? It definitely sucks the spirit out of you. Um, and your bliss body, um, which I refer to as your wise self. So again, why would we be wired to have such an experience because it's really sounding that third alarm. Please go take care of this old issue. You can't go on like this. Or please take care of this immediate emergency issue. You need to protect yourself. So all the bells and whistles are coming out with anger. Uh, and it's to grab your attention. Not to punish you. Not to make you super Hulk or Hulkinator. <laughs> What's his name? The... Incredible Hulk. There we go. <laughs> Hulk and Mater. I'm awesome. Anyway, it's it's not supposed to make you like this person who has this 
powerful ego because he can get so angry and intimidate and control everyone. It literally is a message for you primarily, not for other people. Now, if you stay chronically anger, angry, uh, this is going to affect your sleep. It's going to screw up your ability to manage your anxiety. Uh, eventually, really angry people become very weak and vulnerable panic attack people. Uh, it could affect your libido, your relationship status, of course, your thyroid functioning, and of course, it can mess with your weight. You can have weight gain and or weight loss because of the physiological experience of inflammation. So there's an imbalance there. You're not in a state of homeostasis. So it's not a good idea to stay angry, that's for sure. So we need to notice feelings and behaviors, especially when they're angry. And one way that I recommend that people notice their feelings is look at the intensity, the frequency, and the duration. So how intense is your anger on a scale of 0 to 10? How frequent within a week's time are you experiencing anger? How long is that anger lasting? Like, do you get angry and then you calm down quickly with information? Or are you taking hours, 24 hours, days, weeks, months, years to get rid of your anger, your grudge, your desire for revenge, or whatever goofy shit you are doing? Um, always sort of note what is the intensity, frequency, and duration of what's going on with yourself. Also realize like there's an angry scale. So an anger scale to me might use other emotions to identify the level of anger. For example, let's say you're annoyed and then you get frustrated and then you get mad, angry, pissed off, rageful, blackout anger. So there's the scale, right? And what I find when I talk to first responders is that they get really pissed off when they're just annoyed or they're very pissed off and they just mean to communicate that they're frustrated. They get super pissed off and they're just mad or super pissed off and just angry. And angry is where I would stop. So it's very valid and very human to get annoyed, frustrated, mad, or angry. But the pissed off, rageful, blackout stuff, that's just straight up bullshit. Um, that's you being ignorant and out of control. Um, I don't mean that as an insult. I'm not trying to punish anyone with those harsh words. But I need you to realize that if you are in a state of being pissed off, rageful, and blackout anger, that's really intense. Unless someone is threatening you or your children or maybe your spouse, um, there's no need to pull out pissed off, rageful, and blackout. And yet this happens on the training ground. It can happen on a scene. It definitely happens at the station if you're a firefighter. And so this is something that I want you to pay attention to. Like I'm waving the red flag for you if you if you need it to be waved to understand what I'm saying. Um, and maybe I'll say it one more time. Your feelings are very valid. Being annoyed, frustrated, mad, angry is fine. But pissed, pissed off, rageful, and blackout anger uh, probably means you need some assistance because you're not going to be able to chill that out on your own. 
And the other point that I want to really hit home here is to make sure that your behavior matches your feeling. If you're just annoyed that there are dishes in the sink, don't act rageful about it or even angry. Just be annoyed and see if you can find the scale, you know, of behavior that matches what's really going on with you. Um, you also need to understand your own triggers and be aware of them and realize that there are only two actions with your triggers that you can take and you can respond or you can react. Now on that note, I want to mention that we call you first responders for a reason. We do not call you first reactors. So you are called first responders because you are going to respond with your talents, with your skills, your common sense, and your plan, right? There's SOPs, SOGs, and all this stuff. And for whatever reason, you can be a responder at work, and then you become this reactor when you get triggered, whether that's at home or at work. So let's talk about the difference with response versus reaction. Your response is your response ability. So think about it as, okay, my response is my talent, skill, and plan. My ability, of course, is my willingness and ability to do things in this rational, intellectual, or wise way. So response plus ability is responsibility. Responding to your anger or to whatever triggered your anger is a great response because it's intellectual, wise, and rational. Now, a reaction has to be then the opposing uh, action, which is unwise, irrational, ignorant, and I would call that jerkwad syndrome, asshole, or moron. But I digress, and that's not nice to name call. But again, I sort of see angry people is off the hook, off the chain. They're, they're losing it. And they're showing, right? They're, they're demonstrating their vulnerability and their ignorance and their pain and the fact that they do not know how to cope. So if you are a reactor and you are using primarily reactions to cope with your anger or your triggers, you need a wedge between your trigger and your action. So I want you to picture a triangle as the wedge between trigger and action. And I choose a triangle because it truly is an uphill battle to notice what's going on with the trigger and yourself, to choose self-awareness, to do pratyahara, which means to withdraw from the external world for a moment so that you can turn inward and recognize what's going on in your own observation of yourself. And as you recognize what's going on, you want to take a moment to organize it and understand it so you can start forecasting. If I do this, then this will happen. If I do that, then this will happen. And this is the prerequisite to making some decisions with a sense of responsibility. Now, I know that that might take you a bit of time and we, in the first responder world, want immediate millisecond reactions and responses. But I'm going to tell you, 
I would rather you do this uphill battle as slowly as possible. And then when you get to the top, you will see this beautiful perspective. Think top of the mountain, top of the triangle. And then you can just roll with it downhill, right? Just roll downhill with it from there. Um, you need to know, right, that whatever is threatening you, whatever is triggering you, your integrity is what really matters here. Otherwise, you're not going to feel good and you're going to create another problem, if not another problem and another problem on top of that. I don't think that any trigger or any threat to you or your masculinity or your intelligence or whatever it is you feel is worth the trouble of reacting in anger. And again, I want to emphasize, I get that there is a pressure for you to respond and to react. And this could be the biggest hurdle. But I don't want you on puppet strings. If you feel so much pressure that you don't want to turn inward and think about this first, you're on puppet strings. Cut those strings. Whoever is doing that to you, they're yanking those strings and they're getting you to dance. And that's what I mean by vulnerability and ignorance and a lack of coping ability. I mean, that's the, if someone tells you to jump, you're saying how high, <laughs> you know, and nobody likes being a slave like that. So I think it's just smarter to take a minute to turn inward and get yourself more organized. And I have had to do that before. I have literally told people, look, I just dropped a lot of IQ points and I can have this conversation angry, but I promise if I come back later, it's going to be a more productive conversation. Um, and if you think about it, uh, it takes maybe 20 minutes for Tylenol to kick in, 20 minutes for your caffeine to kick in. It's 20 minutes for you to calm down the chemical or the physiological, the psychobiological reaction of anger in your body. And that's not if you keep triggering it. That's if you're not in the hamster wheel going around and around and around, ruminating and racing in your mind about this. So you're going to need at least 20 minutes to come down from your sympathetic nervous system firing up. So I want to make maybe another comment because as a therapist for mostly men who are first responders, there's a fear about losing your man card. And if you are a woman in the first responder world, this applies to you as well. And I want you to think about how do you define powerful? How do you define integrity? And if you have to, how do you define being a man or a woman in a man's world? For me, my hope is that you define it as being alpha. And alpha is not beta. It is not domineering. Um, alpha is very dominant. And dominance is very calm, wise, soothing. It's a, it's a good energy to have. It knows what it's doing and it's fair. It has integrity. So if you are worried about losing your man card, as I said, no alpha and no dominant is going to lose that card. A domineering asshole will always lose that card because they're a beta. And 
that might also sound sort of harsh, but I want you to start to identify with your anger as something that is not masculine. It's not a masculine trait. We've made it a masculine trait, unfortunately. And I try to tell moms and dads, stop teaching children, particularly your boys, um, to be stoic or to be angry. We have so many feelings. You have to increase your feelings vocabulary. I mean, for happy, we can say we're cheerful, confident, content, delighted, excited, glad, loved, relaxed, satisfied, terrific, thankful. If we're sad, we can say, I feel ashamed, awful, disappointed, discouraged, gloomy, hurt, lonely, miserable, sorry, unhappy, withdrawn. If we're angry, like I said before, annoyed, frustrated, mad, pissed off, disgusted, frustrated, fuming, grumpy, mad, mean, violent, And of course, there's many other feelings like bored and confused or curious, jealous, moody, uh, uncomfortable, worried. I probably repeated some feelings, but you get my point. When we teach people the language, we start to communicate the felt sense and we were able to understand it. But if you tell boys to be stoic, I mean, think about what that means. For me, the definition of stoic is emotional constipation. So if you emotionally constipate your child and they grow up to be an adult that's emotionally constipated, you're getting a really anal kid or a really explosive, impulsive, compulsive kid So or adult, which is no bueno, right? That anger explosion is always going to not serve them. And of course, if you teach them it's okay to be stoic or it's okay to be angry, you're really limiting their ability And then, of course, in the police and fire world, we get all this, don't talk about it, don't cry about it, don't ask for help, and stop crying, or I'll give you something to cry about, or maybe you're not fit to do the job, or why don't you rub some dirt in it? And while all of you might be smiling, remembering that you were told that, I think there's a time to rub some dirt in it, and then there's a time to figure your shit out, you know? So you're going to have to find a feelings vocabulary, but... Again, you're going to have to raise yourself and you're going to raise, hopefully raise your kids if you have them to be emotionally intelligent people because we don't want people to have a tough life and doing just stoic and angry is setting someone up for a tough life. And I always say do life so it doesn't do you. And there's a reason for that because anger can really, really distort your thinking And it could be such a disservice. And some of the things that, I mean, it does is it just wastes so much time and it harms their body, especially chronic anger. And it hurts relationships. And the number one reason for suicide in in the world, in especially first responders, is relationship stuff, whether it's coworkers, friends, family, And it's the relationships that make us want to survive and live or not. I wish it could be just ourselves, but we are human beings and human beings are social creatures and social creatures are connected to everything. So we don't want to put people at high risk for isolating themselves, which is another high risk suicide ideation factor. But anywho, 
I'm totally digressing and I'm off my notes for sure. But I want to go back to this other idea of it wastes time through matching. So there's a concept. I don't know if you can Google it. I just sort of call it matching. But it's when someone gets upset and then the other person trumps that upset by being more angry, more intimidating than the previous person just displayed. So then that previous person wants to trump them and then the battle goes on and on and on. It's like going up these ladder rungs until you're both totally exhausted and you quit. The relationship is obliterated um, or you have to start all the way back down at the bottom. And again, what a waste of time. What a destructive way to live and definitely destructive to the relationships. So... What I try to tell people is do not match anyone. When they're angry, let them escalate. Let them outburst. If that's what they have to do, you stay grounded. And it will be tempting because they'll keep going up, 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 and up with their anger to see if they can get you to jump, to see if you are on those puppet strings. But I just want you to sit and see this prediction unfold. And when you let them scream and yell and get all red in their face and intimidate you or bully you or try to get some response or reaction out of you and you sit there very calm, cool, and collected and not to do it to throw it in their face but because you are centered and you are aligned with yourself, eventually they're going to feel like a fool, right? That's like fucking idiot status right there. Um, and they need to feel that. They need to feel a little bit of that shame and embarrassment, not because I want to hurt them, but because sometimes we need a pinch to grow an inch. And we need to realize I didn't have to be pissed off or rageful to make a point. I didn't have to be mean or bully anyone in order to get this thought through and um, or a change made. So do not match anybody let them escalate and outburst if they have to. And then eventually they will come back down and their language may sound like, you know what, I'm sorry. I just, I was really mad. I was really upset. I'm usually not like this, blah, blah, blah. But just go ahead and let them apologize. It's up to you if you want to accept it. Um, but eventually then you could restart the conversation and probably fix things. But another thing that I want to talk about what I had said earlier is that anger can really distort your thinking. So I want to talk about four different types of not so good thinking. And the first type is called a thinking error. Now we all are going to have thinking errors. And I decided that I would talk about socks. Because once upon a time, I was a roommate and said roommate always asked, where's my socks? And for whatever reason, I was like, why should I know where your socks are? Do you know where my mascara is? No. So anyway, you, you hear that anger and sass? There it is. Anyway, a thinking error is my spouse misplaced my socks. And part of me is like, okay, that's a thinking error. It's really basic. Maybe they did misplace your socks, but if they misplaced your socks, they probably took them out of the dryer, put them together, and put them away somewhere for you. So it's a simple thinking error. The spouse can show up and say, 
hey, dude, I put your socks right here. Um, and you find them. So there's a little bit of anger with that thinking error because they misplaced it, but that was really useless. So that's why we put it at the level of thinking error. The next level of thinking that's no bueno is cognitive distortion. That would be my spouse misplaced my socks on purpose just to piss me off. <laughs> uh, that would be a cognitive distortion. So because you think that way, of course you're going to feel more angry. And maybe the other person was like, I put them where there was room because you left your other drawer, dresser drawer, 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 <laughs> a freaking mess. Um, so they just improvised. And then the third level of thinking, this is so silly, uh, at least I think I'm funny, uh, delusional thinking. That's my spouse hides my socks, so I have a hard time getting ready because she secretly hates my ass, wants me to be late, and written up at work, and then we'd have to sell the house, and we wouldn't have any place to live. <laughs> so that's pretty stupid, too. Um, that's why we call it delusional thinking. And as silly as these examples are, some people actually think like this when they get heated. So, you know, emotions go up, IQ points drop, and you're a ding-a-ling. But um, the fourth level of thinking, if I can stay on track, I'm starting to have too much fun, is psychotic thinking. And that would be more like um, my spouse is conspiring with the FBI or some religious community to get me fired because I can't find my socks and I'm going to be late to work again and I'm getting scared and frightened of this conspiracy working against me. So luckily in the first responder world, I don't often work with people who are having active psychotic episodes, but I thought I would include that last bit of thinking there so that you can recognize it. Should you be on a psych call, then you could be like, oh, it's a basic thinking error. That's a cognitive distortion. That dude's delusional or man, that guy's psychotic. But the point there in mentioning these different types of silly thinking is that you, you really need to have perspective. You're going to probably have to practice turning inward and noticing the different dynamics and elements of the trigger before you react. That way you respond instead. And my little drill for teaching perspective is to show people the number three. Because if you look at a three and you turn it to the right, it looks like a W. If you turn it to the right again, it looks like an E. And if you turn it to the right again, it looks like an M. So a three E W M. And yet it's the same thing. It was always a three. So this teaches us perspective. If you're on the left side of the three, it looks like an M. If you're on the right side of the three, it looks like a W. And both of those people are right. Or another way to think about it is there's at least four sides to every story. It just depends on how you're looking at it. So being mindful of that, I think, is important. Another thing is to know that when you're angry, and I had mentioned wait 20 minutes or more to calm down, you are going to have to learn how to activate your parasympathetic nervous system. And how do you do that? One, your ego has coping mechanisms to help you ignore, deny, numb, and minimize what has triggered you. 
but those are coping mechanisms. They're not coping skills. There are coping activities to purge your anger, like go run, go play hockey, go lift your weights, go for a drive if you can be safe. That's a good coping activity to purge you know, the system from what you're physiologically experiencing with the anger. But another thing is to do a coping activity to restore. Now this it could be a skill, but it's a coping activity. And a restorative coping activity could be to breathe, to meditate, to do some yoga, you know, count backwards from 10 and imagine unicorns. That doesn't always work for me, but the idea is that you put that wedge in between your trigger and your response. The other thing I want to remind people is to always approach, not avoid. You can't just avoid, avoid, avoid your anger and your angry reactions. So approach is important. You also, like I had mentioned before, need to increase your feelings vocabulary so that you're not just saying, I'm mad. Well, what else do you feel? I'm angry. Well, what else do you feel? I'm pissed off. Like, hello, can we figure out what the primary emotion is? Can we communicate a little more clearly? And the communication formula, by the way, is I need to ask you for your time. And once we decide on a time and you know the topic that I want to talk to you about, then I say, I think it's unfair that you hide my socks. It makes me feel very angry. I suggest that I do my own laundry and put my own socks away from now on. And your spouse will do a little cheerleading act and I'm sure agree, unless you're just going to pile up the socks and then she'll get to say, can I talk to you about our sock issue? I think it's unfair that you leave all your dirty socks in the laundry room on the floor. It makes me feel angry. My suggestion is that we put them in a hamper never to be found. (laughs) So there you have it, marriage in a nutshell. Um... Another thing is if you can't seem to get through this stuff on your own, I am cracking myself up. You might need to go to some counseling and treat those thinking errors, cognitive distortions, and delusions if it has gone that far. And like I said, psychotic thinking isn't really a norm with you guys. Um, But you might have to resolve old traumas and counseling in order to get through the anger. You are also probably going to need some social support and to plan on using some social cues to to deal with your anger more intelligently and even have a safety plan, uh, which I'm going to talk about in just a second. But I want to mention how important it is that we have good problem-solving skills and good conflict resolution skills. That actually is a good prevention measure for anger. Um, So what's the difference? Problem solving is for a situation. Conflict resolution is with people. So it's just a little bit different there in how you end up resolving the issue. Now, I want to talk about the safety plan in just a second, but a couple of other points as well, which one, uh, the treatment goals of anger is to, of course, and I hope you're learning this, accept that anger is not the only acceptable emotion. You need to accept that all emotions, feelings, and sensations have a functional purpose. And I hope that you can accept that what you ignore, deny, uh, minimize, or, um, I almost forgot, ignore, deny, minimize, or numb 
any emotion, there's going to be a consequence to your health. Uh, always look at the frequency, intensity, and duration of your angry states and aim for something less um, if you are fiery angry uh, in a destructive way. And again, increase your feelings vocabulary because that's what's going to help you communicate what you are becoming more self-aware of. And again, we want to be self-aware so we can notice, recognize, accept, and then cope with whatever it is you're feeling. Now, a couple thoughts about this. Um, I have enjoyed my anger. I thought anger protected me because it intimidated others at one point in my life. I thought it warned others about my strength, particularly in verbal fighting. And um, when I was younger, it included physical fighting. And I thought my anger was useful in that incredible Hulk way, um, because if you triggered me, I would react and I felt like, well, I conquered you, I won, and I am in control. Uh, but I was definitely ignorant and quite naive. And the moment I became angry was the moment actually that I lost control and lost in that situation, period. So if you enjoy your anger, I hinted at this before, you're still in the throes of your own ignorance. So I'll just put a period at the end of the sentence there. Um, I, in particular, so another self-disclosure, have needed a sense of humor to really inoculate my anger. And there are many different types of defenses that a human being has, but a high adaptive level of defending myself or yourself is humor. And humor and laughter is an immediately effective way for me to change my vibration uh, it grabs every cell in my body and it really does help me to transition from an unconscious or subconscious state to a more conscious and aware state of being. And that space between a lack of awareness and awareness, by the way, is called liminality. That's a state of transitioning into adjustment to your next phase of existence or next moment. So definitely use your humor if you need to, but of course, there's appropriate and inappropriate ways to do that. I also, I've had to learn in my life to not take things so seriously. Um, all of my mentors, teachers, they speak so low and slow and they giggle and I find myself doing the similar, similar things, um, but my mentors and my teachers, they smile so beautifully and they're so patient um, in their lives, but also with my questions, my problems, my conflicts and, and, and my pain. And so, of course, I love doing that for others. I love paying that forward. But most importantly, I love doing it for myself. So my teachers, if they are going to be patient with me and my problems, conflicts, and pains, then I am learning to be very patient with myself too. They've taught me to not take myself too seriously and to not be full of myself when I finally understand what that means. So one thing that I have also done as a result of my, my education, my training, my self-care, is that I've really developed a strong desire to do no harm. And the more conscious I become, the more responsible I feel to be benevolent, loving, thankful, kind, compassionate, and to as often as humanly possible, be a wise person. And in yoga, there is a word, it's called ahimsa. And this is respect for all living things 
and the avoidance of violence towards others. I practice ahimsa. I, I hope that you might look that up and, and practice ahimsa yourself. So I had talked about a safety plan and then I'll be done for this podcast, but um, for significant others of angry people, for anyone that's close to an angry asshole, um, anger is not a criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder. Unfortunately, I have heard people talk about, go check and see if he has PTSD. He's, he probably has trauma. Um, the criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder is not anger. Um, do not tiptoe around anyone's anger. Never let someone's anger boss you around. You can only hold space for someone's emotions. You cannot fix them. And if you feel intimidated by someone's anger, it's called abuse, period. So angry people, I will tell your spouse not to take your shit and I will tell them to seek counseling to get out of an abusive relationship if the anger doesn't change. And angry people, I will tell you to not take your own shit and to seek counseling to get out of the abusive relationship you are in with yourself. So we don't want to get in this, you know, tangle, but some people go that far, which, you know, whenever somebody offends someone, I ask them two things. Were you trying to hurt them? And were you trying to leave them? If you were trying to hurt them, then this is a silly way to hurt them. Um, or it's ridiculous to want to hurt someone and that person needs to know that. And if anyone was trying to hurt me intentionally, I guess I would be peace out, right? Um, so that's why I ask, you know, was the intention to hurt? And usually the answer is no, I wasn't trying to hurt them. I'm just, I just don't know how to deal with my anger. The second question, are you trying to leave them? So sometimes people do stupid stuff to push the other person away, um, but the other person doesn't get the hint and so if they say, no, no, I'm not trying to separate or divorce. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just having an angry problem. Then, of course, that helps me understand what the treatment plan goal is. But if you were, in fact, just being mean and angry with someone in hopes that they would leave, then I will help you do that in a more amicable way. So that's what I mean by that. Now, again, one last idea about chronic anger issues. If you have chronic anger problems and chronic anger conflicts, that is a sign or symptom that you really do need professional help. So I hope that you get the help that you need um, should it be that way for you. And I am going to leave it at that um, for voodoo and anger. (laughs) And I'm going to thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. Again, I'm Sarah Gura, a licensed clinical professional counselor for first responders at the Self-Care Path in Burridge, Illinois. And as always, do life so it doesn't do you. Take good care and stay safe.